is here. Father, we love you. And God, right now, we just, we just pray for that one on our right and on our left. God, you know each one so intimately. God, you know what they're going through this morning. And Father, I just pray that you would minister to each and every woman in this place today, God. Father, God, have your way. Now, right now, we just open our hearts to you. We lay aside the busyness of life, the things that are waiting for us to do this afternoon. God, we lay it all aside, and we fix our focus on you. And Father, we ask you to speak to us, and we ask you to give us ears to really hear what you're saying and hearts that are open to receive and apply your word, Father. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I love this time of year, this season, entering the Easter season. We have Easter Sunday coming up this coming Sunday. And we know that it's just a, our time we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus which is something that we live with an awareness of all the time as we live in relationship with him. But I just, I love Easter because it's just a beautiful reminder to all of us of what Jesus accomplished for each and every one of us. You know, I think sometimes we've just got to stop and remind ourselves. We can just grow familiar, so familiar with what he's done for us. Sometimes we just need to stop and remind ourselves of what Jesus did, taking the punishment for our sins on his body, on that cross of Calvary, dying that brutal death for each and every one of us. But he didn't stay in the ground, he rose. And he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to abide with us and in us to live with us so that we can have relationship with him every day. Every day that we are alive, living, breathing on this earth, we get to have relationship with the God of this universe. How amazing is that? And we get the assurance of spending eternity in heaven with him. I am so thankful for that. You know, what Jesus accomplished for us, it really is the greatest act of love imaginable. Everything that he did for us on Calvary, it's the greatest act of love imaginable. I mean, it's really unfathomable to our human mind. It's more than we can comprehend. It, it, it's not a, he, he extends his love to us, but it's not a human love. That's why it's so hard for us to get our heads around it, to comprehend it, because it's it, it it is this supernatural love that is so powerful. His love redeems. His love restores. His love heals. It is so miraculous and powerful, the love of God. And so he extends this great love to us. And then he says, here you go. I entrust my love to you. I'm entrusting you with my love. Wow, did you ever stop to think about that? That God is entrusting each and every one of us with his love. That is incredible. 
because it's miraculous. It is powerful. Have you ever had somebody entrust something really big to you? Maybe uh, more responsibility than you had ever carried before, and you were like, wow, they, they want me to, to carry this responsibility? Wow, they believe I can handle this? They trust me with this? Wow, have you ever had somebody like entrust something to you in that way? Or maybe entrust something very valuable to you and say, I need you to take care of this for me? And you're thinking, oh my gosh, what if something happens to it? What if I break it? What if something happens? I can't believe they trust me. They believe in me enough that I could take care of this for them. Or maybe someone's entrusted you with a, a platform of influence, a, um, an opportunity to influence people or to speak into people's lives or to... Um, to come before uh, people in a, in a new way and have a new opportunity that you haven't had before and you're thinking, wow, they trust me with this. Has it, have you ever had someone trust you with something and trust something to you like that? And what does it make you feel? It makes you feel like, oh my gosh, they believe in me. They trust me with this. Okay, I'm gonna rise to the occasion. I can do this, right? Well, none of those things begin to, to compare with what God has entrusted to us. He's entrusted his miraculous, supernatural love to each and every one of us. It's as if we have our hands out and all these little hearts represent his love. He says, here you go, sweetheart. Here you go. I'm entrusting my love to you. Put your hands out in front of you. Just cup your hands in front of you. And just close your eyes and just imagine that he's just depositing his love into your hands, into your heart, into your life. He's depositing his fullness, his goodness, all that he is, his power to redeem, his power to heal and restore. He's depositing it all into you. He's saying, here, honey, I trust you. I believe you. I believe in you. I believe you will be a good steward of my love. I'm pouring it out into your life. He trusts you. He trusts you. That's a pretty awesome thought, isn't it, that the God of this universe trusts us? I wish I could get to every single person in this room with my little hearts. I got to the people in the front. But thank God he is not dependent on me putting these little hearts in your hand to deposit his love. He has poured out his love to each and every one of us. And he says, I am entrusting my love to you. You don't entrust something valuable to someone you don't trust, do you? To someone you don't believe in? No, he believes in you. He trusts you. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that the God of this universe trusts you? He believes in you. He has full confidence in you that you will be a good steward of that love that he's entrusted to you. So our question is what are we doing with that love that's been entrusted to us. What are we doing with it? I want us this morning to 
look at a parable of some people who were entrusted with something. I want us to look in Matthew 25. You can turn there if you want. Verses will also be on the screens. I want to read to you some verses from the Amplified Bible this morning. But we're going to look in Matthew 25 at the parable of the talents. And we're not going to take the time to read the whole story. So let me just summarize for you. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with this story, but for those of you who may not be, there was a wealthy man, and he was going on a long trip, and he needed his servants to take care of his possessions. So it says that he gathered all of his servants together, and he told them, I'm going on a long journey, but I'm entrusting my possessions to you. And he began to dole out his possessions, his wealth, to his servants. And it says to one, he gave five talents, which was thought to be about $5,000. To another, two talents. To another, one talent. And then he leaves that with them. He goes away on his trip. It says that the one with the five talents, he, he immediately goes out and he begins to trade and, and to have business dealings to increase what he was given. And the one with the two talents does the same thing. And, you know, it says that he trades. So he's going out and he's looking for things that he can do, that he can purchase to make more money. So let's put it in today's world, you know, going out saying, okay, I can buy that condo and make a profit on that and flip that and generate more income. And maybe I can flip this house and I can do this and do that. And he's got business dealings going on so that he can increase what was entrusted to him. And the one with the two talents did the same thing. And he increased what was entrusted to him. And the one with the one talent he dug a hole, and it says he hid it in there because he was afraid of the master, and, and he didn't want to disappoint him, and he wanted to be able to give that one talent back to him when he returned from his trip. So he dug a hole and buried it. And then after a long time, the master returned, and he came to, to uh, gather his possessions, and he called all of his servants back together. And... The one with the five talents, he was excited to see him. He said, here you go. Here's the five that you entrusted to me. And look, here's five more. I doubled your money. And the one with the two talents was able to say the same thing. And he, he, the master, he sees what they've done. He says, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And then he looks to the one who was given the one talent. And he, he says, well... I, I buried it, so here's your one. And the master, he, he was a little bit in shock, and the servant says, well, I know you to be a harsh man, and I was afraid, and so I just buried it so that I wouldn't take any chances so that I'd be able to give it back to you. And the master says, you wicked and lazy servant. Could you not have even invested it in the bank to get some interest on it? You wicked and lazy servant. Wow. A little bit of harsh words coming. But that's exactly what that servant had been. 
That's the kind of steward he had been. And so I think we can really learn some lessons from these servants on how to steward something that we've been entrusted with. And you might say, well, the love of God is a little bit different than different amounts of money. It is, of course, but there are some principles here that we can definitely learn from. And the first thing I want us to see is that each of these servants, they determined the amount they received. They determined the amount they received from the master. Because in verse 15 it says, to one he gave five talents, probably about $5,000, to another two, to another one, to each in proportion to his own personal ability. Then he departed and left the country. They were given different amounts based on their ability. And what determines our ability? Sometimes it might have to do with education. Sometimes it might do with our personal growth and personal development in life. It might do, deal with experiences that we've had, what we have learned from. It may pertain to how we have handled responsibility in the past. People watch how we handle responsibility. People watch how faithful we are. Those things all play into our ability. The way we choose to live out our everyday life will determine our ability and therefore determine the amount that they received, okay? Now, when it comes to the love of God, God pours out all of his love to all of us. He doesn't say, okay, you get just this much, you get this much, and you get this much. He pours it all out to all of us, but like those servants, we determine how much of it we receive. He pours it all out, but sometimes, there's a little problem on the receiving end. Some people push away God's love. Some people reject God's love. Some people feel like they're unworthy to receive God's love, like they're not good enough. Some people always feel like God's mad at them, like they're a failure, they've blown it. Some people live under a cloud of shame and guilt and condemnation and just think that they are not worthy to receive the love of God. I have seen believers grown up in church, living their adult life in church, and yet refusing to receive God's love for them personally because they feel like they're a failure, because they feel like they are not worthy. You know what? When we push away God's love, you know what that means? It always means that we are believing the enemy's lies more than we are believing what God says. Think about it, because it's the enemy that's whispering in our heads that's telling us, you're a failure. You've blown it. You're no good, God's, not, God's mad at you, because none of those things line up with God's nature, his character, or his word. So they are lies from the enemy. And so often we listen to those lies more loudly 
then we listen to God and we end up believing those lies more than we believe God and we reject his love. You know, the fact that we can determine how much of God's love we receive is really illustrated through the story of the woman with the alabaster flask of fragrant oil, the expensive perfume that she pours out on Jesus to anoint him. And as she does that, and remember the story and the Pharisees are mocking, and you can't believe that she is doing this. And Jesus says she is forgiven much because she loves much. And you know, as I meditate on that scripture, I think that just maybe Jesus is saying, she's embraced my love. She's embraced my forgiveness to be pouring out such a lavish act of love. I mean, think about it. Would she be expressing such extravagant love if she was still living under a cloud of shame and guilt? No, she'd be standing outside. It says that when she knew that he was with the Pharisees, she knew she'd be ridiculed, she knew she'd be mocked, but she didn't care. If she felt like God was mad at her, that she was a failure, that he, he was disappointed with her, she never would have gone in to that house and demonstrated such an extravagant act of love. She believed that she was loved by God. She received his love and therefore his forgiveness, and then she was able to extend incredible love. And then Jesus continues, and he says that the one who is forgiven little loves little. Is Jesus a respecter of persons? No, of course not. We know that. He doesn't love some more than others. He doesn't forgive some more than others. He pours out all of his love to all of us. But our receiving is what varies. And some of us don't want to receive his forgiveness. And when we don't receive his forgiveness, we're not receiving his love. And then it says that we love little because we haven't received much of his love. If we don't accept the love of God, we won't be able to love others. Ladies, we determine how much of God's love we receive. He's poured it out, but we determine how much we receive. The second thing I want us to learn from these servants is that they determined what kind of steward they would be with what was entrusted to them. They determined what kind of steward they would be. In this parable, we see two servants who were good, who were wise stewards of what had been entrusted to them. And then there was one who was poor. He was an unwise steward. But it was their choice. They absolutely had the choice in what kind of steward they were going to be. So let's look at the good stewards and see what we can learn from them. What made them good stewards with what was entrusted to them? In verse 16, it says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he gained five talents more. 
And the one with the two talents did the same thing. We see as we read on. So that means that most likely they went and bought something of greater value that they thought they could sell for a greater profit. Now, I doubt that this all happened in one transaction. It says that the master was gone for a long time. So there were probably lots of little transactions that created this sort of profit. But there are a couple things that they had to do in order for this to happen. First of all, they had to let go of some of what had been entrusted to them. Right? You have to pay for something. You have to put some of the money out to purchase something that you may later sell, right? So they had to be willing to let go of what had been entrusted to them. They had to release it to open their hands and let go of some of it. And then they had to be willing to take risk. Not every investment is guaranteed. Right? They probably thought, okay, I can do some things here and I can make a profit on this. They were hoping, but there was no guarantee. And maybe along the line, some of the things weren't as profitable as others, but they maybe recouped the money on other transactions. They were willing to take risks, right? And then the third thing is they knew what they possessed had the power to increase. They weren't just going to hold on to it because they knew it had power to increase if they used that power properly. So we determine what kind of steward we are going to be with the love of God that has been entrusted to us. Do we recognize the power that is in the love of God that's been entrusted to us? The power to bring increase from God into other people's lives. It's powerful. It'll bring healing, to bring comfort, to bring redemption, to bring restoration, bring salvation. It is so powerful. Do we realize the power that is there to bring increase from God into other people's lives and in our own life as well? Are we willing to release it, to open our hands, to let it go, to take risks? Are we really willing to risk in loving others? Did you know sometimes it is a risk to love others? Sometimes we don't know how they're going to respond. We don't know what they're going to do, what they're going to think, what others around are going to do or think. Sometimes it is a bit of a risk. I have a good friend, and her church asked her to start an inner city ministry to homeless people that was close this area that was close to their church and this was an area of ministry that was completely new to her this was not an area of ministry that her heart had ever been drawn to before this was something way out of her comfort zone this was just something that she was completely unfamiliar with that felt totally unprepared for and she went into some areas that were really rough and dealt with some people that were really rough. And she said there were times that she went out and she knew she needed to extend the love of God to them, but for all she knew, they could pull a knife on her at any minute. 
she had to take some risks to step out in this kind of ministry. But she said those risks so paid off as she saw the love of God work the miraculous in people's lives, change their countenance, change their demeanor. She saw this ministry so flourish with feeding programs and educational programs and countless people being reached with the love of God and countless people giving their lives to Jesus. How awesome. It is an amazing ministry today. But it never would have happened if she wasn't willing to take a risk. Sometimes we need to be willing to step out and take a risk. That poor steward, the one that, who was unwise, he didn't want to take any risk, did he? He just buried his talent. He wasn't willing to open his hand with what had been given to him. He wasn't willing to release what had been entrusted to him in order to make a difference and see the increase of God brought into someone else's life. So we need to ask ourselves, what kind of steward am I with the love of God that's been entrusted to me? What kind of steward are you? And we need to ask ourselves, do I notice those around me? Do I even take time to stop? And listen, maybe when it's inconvenient, when I'm in a hurry, do I stop to notice and to give God's love away? Maybe it just means giving a listening ear. Maybe it means being a shoulder to cry on. Maybe it means encouraging someone with just a phone call in the middle of the day or making someone a homemade dinner, even a store-bought dinner for that matter. <laughs> But stopping to reach out, to notice somebody, and just be that vessel that the love of God can flood through. Ladies, we determine what kind of steward we are with the love of God that's been entrusted to us. And then the third thing is those servants, they actually determined their increase. They determined the increase that they gave back to the master when he returned. You know, in verse 16, we read it, and it says that the one with the five talents, he went out and traded. That word trade, it literally means to work, to toil, to uh, have business dealings. It indicates a continual process of giving away what they had in order to gain more. You see, when we give away, what has been entrusted to us and we see its power working in people's lives when we see it bringing healing bringing hope bringing restoration bringing salvation it always expands our revelation of god's love it always brings increase back into our life as well i know in my own life as I've walked through so many different situations and seasons of life and seen God's love for me and experienced his love and received his love in so many different situations and received his, his love in, in salvation and in 
filling me with hope in difficult situations and bringing healing into my life and bringing restoration into my life and redemption and deliverance and all of the amazing things that he's done given me a revelation of his love. But then as I see people going through similar things and I'm able to share those things with them, I see it bring increase into their lives as well. But you know what I especially love is when I see someone going through something that isn't something I have walked through. And maybe I don't know, maybe I can't personally understand, maybe I haven't been in those shoes, and I don't know exactly what to say, but I have the love of God to pour into their life. And then I see God just take that love and do something miraculous and encourage their heart and bring hope to their life. You know what that does? That expands my revelation of God's love even more. Not only does it bring increase into their life, but I see God love in a way and in a situation that I've never walked through, and it totally expands my revelation of his love. When we are just willing to step out, we bring such increase from God into people's lives and back into our life as well. We determine the amount of increase we see by how willing we are. When we give God's love away, it is miraculous. It is not a natural, superficial human love. It is miraculous and does miraculous things. But that poor, unwise steward, he didn't have any increase, did he? He had no increase. He just had the one talent that was buried. But you know what we need to notice about him? He also had a very different perspective of the master than the other two had. In verses 24 and 25, it says that he considered the master to be a harsh man. And it says that he was even afraid of him. The master called him a wicked and lazy servant and said, if that was really what you thought of me, could you have not even put it in the bank to earn interest? That poor steward, he represents one who has no revelation of God's love for himself. And ladies, we will never be able to give away what we don't have. We'll never be able to give away what we don't have. And we'll never be able to experience the joy of bringing the increase of God's love into someone else's life if we don't first receive it for ourselves. And we won't see our own revelation of God's love grow and increase if we don't have a revelation of his love to start with. But you know what? It is never, ever too late to start and to say, okay, God, I'm ready to receive your love. I'm going to stop pushing it away. It is never too late to receive his love. So from this parable and from these servants, we can see that we determine how much of God's love we receive. We determine how we're going to steward his love that's been entrusted to us. And we determine how much of an increase of God's love we're going to give out into others and see come back into our life as well. Jesus has entrusted us with his amazing, miraculous, powerful love. You know why? 
because he trusts us. He trusts you. He believes in you. He values you, and he trusts you to steward his love in a way that will carry it to others to continue his work on the earth today. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that he trusts you, he believes in you? Why don't you just say that with me? God has entrusted me with his love. He trusts me. He believes in me. As I was praying, getting ready for today, I just sensed so strongly that maybe there's some people here today that you just never knew that God himself trusts you. You think about trusting him, but he wants you to know he trusts you. He believes in you. He trusts you. I want us to notice one last thing about this parable, and that is actually where this parable fits in to Scripture. Because this parable is part of a conversation, really, that Jesus is having with the disciples. And it's a conversation that takes place just shortly before Judas betrays Jesus and Jesus is crucified. And he's taking time to talk to his disciples about the end of the ages, about the last days, end times, what's going to happen. And so he's having this conversation, and then in this conversation, he shares a few different parables with them. And all of the parables that he shares with them in this conversation have the same point. And that is that many will say that they are followers of Christ. But there are some who will walk it out, who will live a life as a follower of Christ, and there are others who will be lazy and complacent and idle. And then, after that last parable, which is the parable of the talents, he concludes this discussion with the disciples by saying this in Matthew 25, verse 31. He starts to talk to them about what happens upon the return of Christ. And he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, his majesty and splendor, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them, the people, from one another, as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. And he will cause the sheep to stand at his right hand, but the goats at his left. And then as he's explaining this to the disciples, he says, then the Son of God will address both of these groups. And to those on his right, he will say, come, you blessed of the Father, inherit eternal salvation. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you brought me into your home and, and extended hospitality to me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you came over, and you took care of me. I was a prisoner, and you visited me. And, and they will say to him, 
Jesus, when? When did we do these things? And in verse 40, the king will reply to them, truly I tell you, insofar as you did it, for one of the least in the estimation of men, of these my brethren, you did it for me. And then he tells the disciples that the Son of God will then turn to the group on his left, those ones who were the lazy, complacent, idle ones, and he will say to them, be gone from me, you're cursed into eternal fire because I was hungry and you didn't even notice or offer me food. I was thirsty and you never even offered me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't even notice. I was naked and you never offered me clothing. I was sick and a prisoner and you never visited me. In verse 44, then they also in their turn will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? They're thinking, well, I may have passed by a lot of other people, but if we saw you, of course, we would have stopped to minister to you, Jesus. And then, verse 45, and he will reply to them, solemnly I declare to you, insofar as you failed to do it for the least in the estimation of man, of these, you failed to do it for me. Wow. These are heavy scriptures. <laughs> you know, I read that and I think, wow, what we do with the love of God that has been entrusted to us is serious business. It is so big to God. This is a big deal to God, what we do with the love that he's entrusted to us. Every time we give his love away, it's as if we're giving it to him, to Jesus himself. And every time we're too busy to notice, every time we're in a rush and we rush past opportunities, we're rushing past Jesus. Wow. I want to be a good steward of the love of God that's been entrusted to me. And that's how Jesus concludes this conversation with the disciples talking to them about the, the end of time. But you know, there's one thing he says when he starts out this conversation. He says, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. Ladies, we need to be aware of that. We need to realize that the busyness of life, the cares of life, are trying to get us to, and cause us to have that love grow cold. And if my love toward people grows cold, that means my love towards Jesus has grown cold as well. And maybe you're here today and thinking, ouch. Maybe you're thinking, this is a little heavy. Maybe you're thinking, man, you know what? my love has grown a little bit cold. I'm feeling like I might be like that, that lazy, complacent servant. 
Can I tell you this morning, we've all been like that lazy, complacent servant. We have all had those moments. We have all messed up. But as long as we are living and breathing on this earth, God never stops believing in us. He never stops trusting us. He is not human. What does our human love do? It says, well, you blew it. Let's see. Okay, that's one mark against you. I'll give you another chance. Ah, you blew it again. Ah, three strikes. You are out. But he's not like that. He's not human. He never, ever, ever, ever stops trusting us. He never, ever, ever stops believing in us. How awesome is that? He believes in us no matter what. As long as we are still on this earth, his mercies are new every morning. And he wants you to know today he believes in you fully. He trusts you completely. And he is fully confident that we will be good stewards of the love that he's entrusted to us, that we will be good stewards, receiving it for ourselves, believing his love, but then distributing, pouring out his love into other people's lives. You know what, ladies? We have a choice to make. Because sometimes we do blow it. Sometimes we miss opportunities. And when that happens, we have a choice to make. Because the enemy is right here to say, loser, you blew it. You blew it. God's mad at you. Don't even bother. Don't even bother trying. He's mad at you. He's disappointed with you. You're a failure. And God's over here saying, Come on, sweetheart, pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Let's go forward. I believe in you. And we have a choice. Which one are we going to believe? And can I tell you something? We have got to be so careful because it is so easy for us to believe what the enemy says. And every time we believe what he says, it is as if a chain with a padlock gets wrapped around us that immobilizes us and paralyzes us and keeps us from going forward and ever sharing God's love. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. So when we listen to his lies, we're here saying, okay, okay, devil, you win. You win. I'm going to be ineffective for God. I'm I'm choosing not to be the woman he created me to be. We've got to recognize that it's that serious. That's what we're doing. And we've got to break free of those chains. Jesus came to, to set us free, and all we have to do is believe him and to come over here and say, God, I believe you. Those lies don't line up with your word. I believe that you trust me, that you believe in me. You know what? As, even as I was preparing this message and just meditating on the fact that God trusts me, I caught myself and I was praying and I said, God, I want to be worthy of your trust. And right when it came out of my mouth, it was like I just heard his voice say, you can't. You can't. You can't be worthy of my trust. You're not worthy in and of yourself. And so many times we get caught up in wanting to be worthy. But we're worthy only because of Jesus, not because of anything we can ever do. 
and he looks at us. He looks at you. He looks at you. He looks at you, every single one. And he sees Jesus in you. And because of that, he says, you are worthy. I trust you. I believe in you. You know what? He is our biggest cheerleader. You know that? He is cheering us on. He has sent his Holy Spirit to abide with us and in us. And the word says that his spirit is our helper. So he's just cheering us on saying, I've entrusted my love to you. Now go fulfill my work on the earth by loving people, by extending my love to people, letting my love pour in and do the miraculous. He loves you. He believes in you. He trusts you. And he is fully confident that you will be a good steward of the love that he's entrusted to you. I want to be that good steward, don't you? It's our choice what kind of steward we're going to be. I want us to pray together this morning, but I want us just to take a moment and just within our own hearts. You know, maybe, maybe you have felt like You've blown it. Maybe you have been listening to the enemy's lies. Just take a moment right now. And I just encourage you, just ask him to forgive you. If you've been believing the enemy's lies, it's time to stop. It's only paralyzing you. It's time to stop, to start believing God. And just in your own heart, Whatever he's speaking to you today, just talk to him about that. Just take that personal moment with him right now. And just tell him. Tell him that you're his girl and you'll be a good steward of the love that he's entrusted to you that you'll receive it for yourself more fully than you ever have before. Oh, Father, God, we are so grateful for your love. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for all that you have done and accomplished on Calvary, demonstrating your love to us. God, it's so much more than we can get our earthly minds around. Father, thank you for your love. God, help us to grow in our revelation of that. Father, I just pray right now that each and every one of us, that we just draw a line in the sand, that we would refuse to listen to the enemy's lies, that we would refuse to reject your love, but God, that we'd receive more and more of your love. Father, help us to be the stewards that you desire us to be of the love that you've entrusted to us, God. To be good stewards of that love. To continually be receiving more and to continually be pouring it out into others' lives, God. Use us. God, help us not to be too busy. Help us to notice those around us who need your love, God. Help us to stop and recognize the one we just need to take a moment to encourage, to make a meal for. Whatever it may be, God, show us and use us. God, I pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And ladies, while your heads are still bowed and your eyes are closed, maybe you're here this morning and...